Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. There they go. Listen to the sound of those beautiful feet, right? It is uh, good to be here with you this morning. Uh, Just a a quick little reminder before we jump into our message that uh, ARC building class will be out at Clinton Street this week at Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's a joke. Not a very good one, apparently. Joe, you got tell terrible jokes. I didn't even get anything from you on that one. Sorry. I feel like I let you down a little bit. There's no need for ARC because God promised he wouldn't destroy the earth again by flood, so he's going to find other creative ways to do it, but not by flooding. And so here we are. So, okay, I should just pray after that. (laughs) Lord, here we are. We are yours. And we're eager to see what you want to do here today. Um, We know that there's things you want to show us through your word, uh, by the power of your spirit. And so we're, we're eager for that. I pray, Father, that you would clear away distractions for us. There's things that, that we're carrying in on our heart and our mind, things that we're excited about and ready to get to, and things that make us sad, uh, things that uh, make us angry. Like, these are things that we carry in here today, and so, um, they're, and, and they're important things. So we don't dismiss them as unimportant, but, but we are asking, God, that you would help us to be attentive to you uh, especially in these moments as we open up your word, um, that we'd be sensitive to your spirit that, that inspired these words uh, and the same spirit that makes them come alive for us. And so we offer you ourselves and, and ask that you would do your work in us uh, so that you might do your work through us also. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. We want beautiful feet. We want to bring good news everywhere that we walk. And so help us to do that as we engage with you this morning. And so we ask, Lord, that uh, by the power of your spirit, you would give us eyes to see what we don't naturally see, that by the power of your spirit, you would give us ears to hear what we are are so often deaf to in all the noise of this world. And God, we ask that by the power of your spirit, uh, you would give us hearts that are soft and pliable uh, in your care, uh, because we trust you. So do that work in us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. And amen. All right, turn to uh, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're shifting our attention a little bit. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks uh, focusing on a man named Saul, who we'll come to know as Paul. We're shifting our attention, rather, Luke is shifting our attention here from uh, Saul to Peter. Uh, and. Um, you know, just so foundational on our understanding of uh, what Jesus is doing and how the mission moves forward. And so we're going to read a, a bunch of Acts chapter 10. So begin to turn there. Um, to, to set the table for us, I want to just talk a little bit about what's going on at the beginning of chapter 10. We're going to pick up reading in verse 23. But the beginning of this, we got... Um, uh, Cornelius, who is a, a Gentile, he's a Roman centurion, and, uh, and, and yet he is a God-fearer. We're told that he is a God-fearer. And so when we see the phrase God-fearer in Scripture, it's telling us that it's probably somebody who prays to uh, the Jewish God, to Yahweh, somebody who's got a sensitivity to those things, hasn't gone all the way over uh, to like circumcision, so he's not considered a proselyte or a convert to Judaism, but is 
somebody who is trying to walk in faithfulness, probably even faithfulness to Torah. And so this is who Cornelius is. And then he's one of the characters. We're going to see him here in just a moment. And, um, and then Peter, like I said, one of the apostles, like Peter's the, the one that walked with Jesus and is an anchor to this fledgling church as it gets going. And he's, he's instrumental to the message of the gospel as it moves forward. And so uh, he's out of town and staying with another guy named Simon, uh, lives by the sea, that's a good place to visit, and he's up on the rooftop and he's waiting for dinner to be prepared. I love how Luke records this. So he's, he's waiting for dinner to, to be prepared, so he's got some sort of hungry going on, and it says he, he, he slips into a trance. Have you ever had one of those pre-dinner trances? Um, you know, he's not angry, hangry, he's just, uh, he's just his mind's drifting. Because he's hungry, he's waiting for dinner. And in this trance, he sees this vision of a sheet. You know, it's, it's the, the kind of the language there. It's like a, a sail from a sailboat or something. But this, this sheet that gets lowered from heaven, from all four corners, it gets lowered from heaven and is before him. And it's filled with all kinds of animals. And then the voice of the Lord says, look at all these animals. Uh, kill them and eat them. And, and Peter, good, faithful Jewish guy, says, absolutely not. I will not eat what is unclean, because there's unclean animals there in that sheet. And then the Lord responds by saying, don't call that which I have called clean, don't call it unclean. That which I have called clean, don't call it unclean. And so it's, it's left Peter in a bit of a quandary. And so he's wondering what this whole thing means when he gets some visitors who had been sent by Cornelius to go fetch Peter. And so uh, this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 10, uh, towards the end of, of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them. These were the people that uh, came to fetch him from Cornelius' uh, servants. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. So part of, part of Peter's crew came along too. So it's a little band of people traveling. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Now, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at, at this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon, the tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, 
beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is how the gospel spreads. And by the gospel of Jesus, outsiders become family. Let that sink in for just a moment. And what we see being proclaimed here is by the gospel of Jesus, outsiders, those, those who are, are other, those who are not uh, who we might think should be in, the gospel of Jesus, by the gospel of Jesus, outsiders become family. And so as we read this passage, what are some of the things that you notice? There's a lot going on in here. And no doubt there's some things that the Spirit is drawing to your attention. So share with us, if you would, what are, what are some of the things that you noticed as we read this passage together? Share it out loud. All they had to do was believe. Yeah, yeah. Right? Their belief drew them in and changed things. That's great. Say that again. Righteousness accepted with them. Righteousness accepted with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Thanks, Norm. What else did you notice? All is accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody who was there accepted him, right? They heard and accepted and received. Yeah. What else did you notice? The astonishment of yeah, right? So the, the believing Jews kind of maybe even had this impression that this is just for Jews. This is God's work among Jews. But here they were, they, these Gentiles believed and as a result of their belief received the Holy Spirit. Just like they did. Yeah. Did you notice like even how they received the Spirit seemed to be a lot like what happened in Acts chapter 2, right? So the Spirit came and they spoke in different languages. It's tying those things together. It, it doesn't allow for the believing Jews to go, well, kind of our Holy Spirit was better than your Holy Spirit. So maybe it's not the same thing, right? Because we're people, we, we compare things, they're people, they compare things. And so it's, God is using that to kind of break out of their understanding of who's in, right? And who receives them. Yeah, I love that. One or two more? Yeah. Yeah, God was setting that table with Peter in the, the sheet coming down. And, and what we, we see with this sheet coming down, those animals that are there, it, it, one of the things that ought to do for us is it, um, 
it ought to draw our attention back even to creation. And so creation was about God setting things right and coming down and being present in the midst of his creation. And even the animals that God creates and names in Genesis show up here in the the sheet that's being lowered from heaven. This is a work of God. It's not just, you know, it didn't come up from the earth. It wasn't just animals milling about. This is handed down by God. And so this, this vision that Peter had was doing a work. It was unearthing something. And we even get the impression, don't we, that um, Peter might have been thinking it was just about what he could eat. Because that's kind of what the vision was about. Because the, the Lord even said with the vision, kill them, slaughter them, and eat them. Well, ugh. like most of us aren't used to doing that, but that was more common in that day that you had to actually slaughter what you ate if it was animal. So that wasn't as, as outcoming, but, but kind of what he was being told by God to eat. So, so Peter was kind of ruminating on this, and we're, Luke even records for us that he's not sure what's going on. It's, it's kind of running through his mind. He's, he's ruminating on what's going on and what the whole thing meant. And then as he comes into Cornelius's place, he's like, oh, do you notice how even Peter changed a little bit about what had happened? At first, it was all about the food, eat it. Um, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And then Peter says, the Lord already told me not to call anyone unclean. So Peter was kind of ruminating on that. And uh, God, give, like God gives us space to ruminate on things. He, he shows us things. He draws near to us. And then it, it percolates in our mind a little bit. And this is a part of the way that God stirs and works in our heart. Yeah. Yeah, God had to prepare Peter's heart before he even walked into Cornelius' home. One more? Yeah. Yeah, well, Peter was talking, the Holy Spirit came down on everyone that was there. While he was talking, yeah. Like, there, there's, there's no mix-up that it's God's Spirit. It's coming down. It's being present here in this space as Peter is proclaiming the gospel uh, in that house. This is good. Again, this is how we process Scripture together. And the thread that runs through this is this, this reminder that by the gospel of Jesus, outsiders become family. And so we notice that God includes the outsiders. So we have this whole vision that we were talking about, the sheep, sheep, not the, nope, sheep coming down from heaven, not sheep, sheep coming down from heaven. I feel like I probably shouldn't say that word anymore because it's only going to go downhill from here. So the sheet comes down from heaven and it's this whole thing with Peter and it's messing with his preconceived notions of what is righteous and not righteous, clean and unclean. And so there's this thing that God is drawing him into where, where it's a reminder that God is the one who gets to declare what is clean and unclean. It's not, it's not human capacity, it's God's capacity. And so Peter's even being corrected in this, that which I have called clean, Peter, you don't get to call unclean. And so there was this whole dynamic. Now, we don't see in the Hebrew scriptures in Torah this admonition that Peter mentions when he's at Cornelius that uh, Jews can't uh, go into Gentile homes or associate with Gentiles. It was a part of Jewish tradition and law that had been built up. And so they were kind of um, outside Torah rules and laws and instructions. And so uh, there was no problem, according to Peter, for the Gentiles to come in. You notice Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. And so he's a, a guest there, but these Gentiles come looking for him and, and they're invited in. 
you know, as the story continues, he kind of shouts like, who's here? What do you want? Over the side of the building. They said, well, we're here for Cornelius. And, but it was kind of too late in the day for them to embark on their journey. So they were welcomed in. They had a meal together, likely stayed overnight there. So they were welcomed in. And that wasn't against the rules as Peter understood them. But then the other side of this is Peter going into a Gentile's home. And that's the part that I'd imagine even as he got to the threshold, okay, he had to stop a second, right? He had to stop a second because he'd been ruminating on this. So it had been a few days since he had this vision where God had been stirring his heart. And so it's a reminder for us that God includes the outsiders. And so we see God was working on Peter, Right, gave him the vision uh, coming down out of heaven and the animals and the, the kill and eat, that whole thing. God was also working on Cornelius. God was the one who sent his messenger to Cornelius, a man shining in bright light, and said, here's what I need you to do. You're going to go to Joppa and ask for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He gave him the address, like he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, like telling him where he's going to find him. That's, that's convenient. That's better than GPS. So he didn't even have to Google it in order to get there. And so... Uh, so um, Cornelius sends a couple of his servants and, and sort of his right-hand man sends him to go find them. But that was all prompted by the Lord. So here's God. This isn't, again, man's idea. This isn't, this isn't humanity coming up with their best way. This is God orchestrating the coming together with this. And so as we read this, make, make no, uh, have no misunderstanding that this is what the Lord is doing. Because there, there would likely be those who would criticize and say it was just a human endeavor to cross those boundaries that ought not be crossed. Uh, to, to go to people who ought not be visited and entertained in this. They are out, we are in. There would, there would absolutely be people who would say this is just Peter, you've gone wayward. But it is absolutely clear as Luke records this for us and acts that this was the Lord bringing these pieces together. The Lord is the one who stirred Peter and began to do this work in his heart. The Lord is the one who stirred Cornelius, who was a God-fearing Gentile in his household. And so God is doing these things together. And this is a, a reminder for us as we explore this story for ourselves and we're drawn into this dynamic that God includes the outsiders. And this won't be necessarily true for, for all of us, but for some of us, there are probably barriers in our heart and our mind to who should get the gospel and who shouldn't? Who are the outsiders and who are the insiders? And so sometimes we can find ourselves being hard-hearted towards certain people, individuals, or groups. And one of the things that we need to wrestle with and process this with is this whole notion of God's spreading the gospel to all people. Even those that we have the barriers in our heart and mind towards, God is moving towards them with the goodness of his gospel. And he's doing so in us and through us as we respond faithfully to the call of the gospel and the missionary call of God's spirit. And so if, if you find yourself in a place where you are stuck and all you can afford is a particular group of people or a particular person is judgment and condemnation then this story ought to begin to stir in us a, a breaking down of the barriers. Part of, of humanity is creating barriers. 
Every culture, every subculture, every sub-sub-sub-subculture tends to create the places where we understand, I am in and they are out. I am in and they are out. And who do we move towards? This is the question. Who do we move towards? The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. Anybody who would respond with soft-hearted response to the grace of God. And so while we might try to exercise control, the challenge for the Christian and the follower of Jesus is to have the heart of Christ, which is born out of love, towards the people around us. See, the way of Jesus isn't the way of the middle. Sometimes in our politicized climate, we've got conservative and progressive, and we have an impression that Jesus is just navigating the middle way. Jesus isn't isn't via media. The way of Jesus isn't the middle way. The way of Jesus is a completely different way. And it's the way of love. The way of Jesus is the way of love. This is what we have in our tool belt as we approach the other. What do we have? We have love. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have self-sacrifice. These are the tools with which the Christian is armed in his approach to the other. And when we talk about love, we talk about love, not in the, um, you've heard me say this before, not in the Hallmark card, puppy dogs and kitty cats kind of feel good love. When we talk about love, we talk about love on full display in the fullness of truth and grace. Grace is the power by, of God by which we move towards the other. And truth is the power of God alive in us that proclaims who he is and who we are in light of who he is and what he has done. Love moves towards the other. Love isn't repelled by the other. Love doesn't build up higher walls from the other. Love moves towards another in the fullness of grace and truth. So let me say it again. The way of Jesus is not the middle way. The way of Jesus is a completely different way, and it is the way of love in the fullness of grace and truth. And so for those of us who bear the name of Christ as Christians, this is what we are empowered to live as in this day. And so when we feel threatened by the other, whatever that other might be, and we could probably raise hands and have a dozen different groups or others represent, like, no matter what that other is, we can feel it coming in and all the voices around us are fanning into flame fear. There are people whose job it is to make millions and millions of dollars stoking the fires of fear. And my friends... The way of Christ is not to thread the needle in the middle way. The way of Christ is the way of love, where we move towards the other in love in the fullness of grace and truth. There isn't a spot for our fear to be stoked to vengeance. Our place is to be people of peace in the way of love, 
That is what we have been armed with, which isn't acquiescence. It isn't abdication. What Jesus has shown us is love is the most powerful force in the universe. And so the tools that we have in our tool belt are love, self-sacrifice, expressed in the fullness of grace and truth. This is what he has armed us with as his people in a world that seeks to destroy the gospel. God includes the outsider. We also see in this that the outsiders become family. Peter's not giving us an example here of, of the outsiders, the Gentiles, like, can you kind of st stay in the living room? I'm going to go in the hallway. Or I'll, I'll stay in the foyer and you can hear me from there. Like, he, he's being drawn into this. And I, I just even love that it takes place in, in Cornelius' home. He's being drawn into this. And so we see... Um, in Cornelius's uh, uh, story here, that friends and family are eager to hear about Jesus. Like they're, they're looking for him to come in. Now, there's a, a chance, again, we don't get this specifically from the text, that as they, uh, Peter and his gang began to move towards that, maybe it was one of Cornelius's servants that was a marathoner, right? Skip, we got some marathoners. And he runs ahead to give the message. Like he couldn't just shoot off a text. Hey, we're five miles out. We'll be there soon. So the, you know, the, the servant probably like ran ahead and got there. Got there before everybody else said, hey, Peter's on his way. And so that's how Cornelius would have known to like to gather people. Like it's time. He's almost here. So then as Peter approaches the house, Cornelius meets him as a good host would and opens the door for him, welcomes him into his home. And Peter courageously in light of all that God has been messing with his perspectives, Peter courageously walks in. And so there's this eagerness to hear. Listen again what he says in verses uh, 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Isn't that an interesting line? That God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. See, God does not show favoritism. And this is the, the message that we're, we're getting into at the beginning of Acts. We see what God was doing in Jerusalem among uh, the Jewish people and the Holy Spirit coming and the fulfillment of uh, Messianic prophecies and all those kinds of things, the fulfillment of scriptures right there in Jerusalem. But then we see through the persecution and the scattering that the gospel is moving out to all nations because Jesus said, you're, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Like the plan of God has always been for the gospel message to spread to all nations, to all people. It's not God's plan to make all people Jewish. It's God's plan to meet people where they're at and to bring him into his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is what his work is. This is what his gospel is. And so we're seeing this played out through the narrative of Acts that this is spreading. And where those who might be offended by Gentiles coming in, you can't be Gentiles. And Paul, we see through much of his writings in the New Testament, always had sort of this... Um, there was this group of people who said, you got to be Jewish first in order to be faithful to, to Jesus. And Paul kept saying, no, it's Jesus above else. For Jew and Gentile are being made new and being drawn into this new reality. And so God is taking people, even people that we wouldn't expect, and drawing them into himself. How is he affirming that? 
We see this verses 44 through 48. We're not going to read them right now, but we talked about this a moment ago. The Holy Spirit came down, and it looked an awful lot like Acts chapter 2. Again, if we're paying attention, it'll make us go, oh. Like, this wasn't uh, class B Holy Spirit stuff here. This was, this was class A. Like, the, the good stuff that came out in, in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 is now coming out here uh, in, in Caesarea. Like, the Holy Spirit is coming. How do we know this? Well, the Holy Spirit came on them, and it said they began to speak in other tongues and praise the Lord. This is the same thing we always saw back here. Again, we, we don't need to take this as prescriptive. This is a sign that God is showing he is doing this thing. And there is no second-class citizen in the family of God. Outsiders are made family. Now here we've, kinda, we've, we've talked about the ways that sometimes we create barriers in our mind, in our heart to other people, right? We can grow hard, harder that we can put up barriers and walls. But the gospel of Jesus breaks those things down. I want you to listen from the other side too because I suspect there's some people who might even be sitting here right now or you're watching online or you're going to watch online later. People that you know you've had conversations with and it might even be you who say something like this in your own mind or maybe you've even given voice to it. If you knew who I really was, you would know this isn't for me. And it's not them going, nope, not for me. It's them going, oh, yeah, I hear the goodness, I hear the stories. Jesus just doesn't want me. Jesus just doesn't want me. If you knew who I was, if you know where I've been, if you knew what I've done, you would know Jesus just doesn't even want me. If you've thought that, if you're thinking that, if you know someone who's thinking that, Listen, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. He has broken down the barrier to pursue you, to come to you. He has broken down the wall to seek you. Listen, listen, Jesus is for you. Only your obstinance will keep you from knowing his life. What you've done will not. Where you've been will not. As a matter of fact, as we've talked about before here on Sunday morning, what we see in these stories that unfold is where our feet have been are often where God uses to point us where our feet are going because God redeems even where we've been that we might know life. See, this is not a, a, a trite or trivial thing where outsiders become family. My friends, this is a work of the gospel of Jesus and he and he alone is the one who gets it done. How did this happen here in this story? It happened as Peter proclaimed the gospel of Jesus in their midst. I want to go back and I want to read that again. Take this in. Circle this. Highlight this. Kind of whatever you're going to do. Take the screenshot of it. But take this in. As Peter begins to speak, verse 36, listen. 
you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Who is this Messiah? Jesus of Nazareth. God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Now, you might remember... Some of the other places where Peter is talking, Peter and John, they were talking to Jews, and so they made a point of like, you killed him. Um, so he doesn't quite have that same edge here because he's not talking to the Jews who killed him, right? So it, he's talking, uh, they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, that he is Messiah. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the gospel that, Paul, that Peter is bringing to bear here. And you see these, these dynamics that are coming out, that, that there is peace through Jesus. There is peace with God through Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we are all enemies of God. We might be enemies that smile a lot at him, but we are enemies nonetheless. Our nature, our human nature, that which falls into the category of common sense, is that which puts us opposed to God. Not because God is looking to whack us with sticks and kind of control and manipulate us, but because God has shown us what life with him looks like and we have all rejected life with him. We have all decided to do life on our terms. I have, you have, I still do more times than I wish, you still do more times than you wish, say, God, I got this. I got this. I want to do it my way. And so God, so we are at odds. We are enemies with God. But through Christ, Peter is saying it here, there is peace through Jesus. It's this reconciliation with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And he used the language of Jesus is Lord of all, or the language of anointed one. You see, he was anointed with power in the Holy Spirit, anointed. When we say Jesus Christ, it literally translated anointed one. Messiah is the Hebrew word that says anointed one. And so Peter is saying, um, Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ, the one who had been promised. You even saw him talk about here. He is the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. The prophets all point towards him. And so everything we read in the Hebrew scriptures or our Old Testament is leading us to Jesus. It's pointing the way to Messiah, the anointed one, who is Jesus of Nazareth, who is anointed by God. But he also uses the language of Lord. He is Lord of all. He's not just Lord of Jerusalem. He's not just Lord of Israel. He is Lord of all. And so the gospel proclaims the lordship of Jesus. And through the lordship of Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, and enthronement, he has overcome the power of sin and death. Listen, listen, listen. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying, Scripture is saying, that a new king has arrived. You have been bound under the chains of the idols you have worshipped. 
They hold you fast, and so we are held captive by sin and death because we have given ourselves to sin and death, which is what happens when we say, God, I got this, I'm going to do it on my terms. Then we become held fast by this, and there's no way out. And so God had to come and rescue us. And so when we say Jesus is Lord, we say there's a new king in town. And this king has overcome the power of sin and death that we might be freed, that we might be freed, that we might know eternal life and walk with him forever. And this happens through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter talks about this there. The gospel is about the death and resurrection of Jesus by which he becomes king and Lord of all and by which he frees those who would come to him by faith. He overcomes sin and death. By his death and resurrection, he establishes his rule and reign. And so what does he do? He reconciles us, not by our own merit, not by our own work, not by our own abilities. He reconciles us, peace with God through Jesus. He reconciles us with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. It is forgiveness of sins that reconciles us to God. As we hold on to our sin, we remain enemies of God, opposed to him. But as we are reconciled through Christ, peace given, forgiveness given. It's not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's grace for sin and life for death. This is the work that he does in us. Forgiveness of sin for those who believe. Reconciliation with God and new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that right as Peter was preaching? You said it. As Peter was preaching, proclaim the lordship of Jesus in their midst, the Holy Spirit came down. And this is the source of new life as the gospel spreads. And so my friends, we don't get to choose where the gospel does and doesn't go. We don't get to choose the clean and the unclean. God himself is moving his gospel throughout the world among all people. And it might even surprise some of us where it ends up. And for those who believe that the gospel isn't for you, listen, listen, listen. Jesus is for you. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus that you too might be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of sin, that you might know new life that can never be stolen. For he is the one, Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who has overcome sin and death on our behalf, that we might be freed, that we might know life and that we might walk with him even today. For God is a restoring, redeeming God. And what must we do to respond to this? Simply repent and believe. To stop holding up our fists at God, whatever that might look like, and turn back towards him in humble repentance. And to believe, to not simply know in our head, but to embody belief. An embodied belief, that's what trust is. That's what belief is, to trust him and walk with him. Repent and believe. And all who do would know reconciliation with God through the forgiveness of sin. By the gospel of Jesus, 
and no other way. By the gospel of Jesus, outsiders become family. That's what he does. Changes the entire equation. And this is what you and I get to be a part of as his missionaries. Everywhere we go, the feet that bring this good news are oh so beautiful. Every room you walk into, every relationship you have, the places where you walk, sometimes even just only in humble obedience to Jesus because you wouldn't want to be there if left to your own devices. Those are the places where the gospel rings out for God is calling all people to himself, all nations, all tribes, all ethnicities, all people. This is what he does. And only him can pull it off. And he does it in us and he does it through us. So let's wrap up with the big three. Seems like there's more than three, right? So take those. There's a lot here that's just really great. But let's just highlight a, a few of the big three that we're going to pull away in our pocket. One of those things is the gospel of Jesus is life. There is no life apart from him. The gospel of Jesus, like Peter has done, and we've seen a number of times already, and we'll see continued throughout, the gospel of Jesus is life. We are chasing life, are we not? All people are chasing life, pursuing life. Give me life. Listen, my friends, Jesus is life. And his gospel draws us into that life. The gospel of Jesus is for all people. The gospel of Jesus is for all people. That's number two. We don't get to decide who's in, who's out. We don't get to decide who hears and who doesn't. But moving toward the other in humility, in love, in self-sacrifice, this is how the gospel spreads. The gospel of Jesus is for all people. And the gospel of Jesus is for me. That's number three. The gospel of Jesus is for me. In fact, would you say that out loud with me? The gospel of Jesus is for me. Say it one more time. The gospel of Jesus is for me. And if you have never tasted life through Christ, you can do that today. We're gonna pray here in just a moment. But those of you who have prayed these prayers, who have found yourself in him, the gospel is actually still for you. Because what happens is we have a moment of repentance and belief, but we oftentimes forget. Our body forgets what it is to walk with him. And so we re-gospel each other. And so when we say the gospel is for me, it's not just, well, the gospel was for me. That's fantastic. 30 years ago, the gospel was for me. No, friends, the gospel is for you today. The gospel is for me today. It's what refreshes us. It's what restores us. It's what reminds us as we walk with him. And so say it again, number three. The gospel of Jesus is for me. Indeed it is. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I want you to pray along, kind of own it for yourself as you see fit. And then we'll be done. All right? Let's pray together. Jesus, it is astounding what you have done. That through your life, through your death, through your resurrection, and through your ascension and enthronement, you have become the Lord of all. We proclaim you are Lord. King Jesus, you are Lord, Messiah and Christ.
And as Lord, you have overcome the power of sin that holds us fast. You have broken the chains of sin through the power of forgiveness. I confess, you say this for yourselves, I confess, I have sinned against you, God. I have sought to do life on my terms. And I have been your enemy. But through your love and self-sacrifice, you have called me to be your own. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. And I am in awe that you would even forgive me. But I receive it. God, not only have I been held fast by sin, I've been held fast by death and the threat of death. But here you are, Jesus. You have overcome even death. You are life. And so by the power of your spirit, I receive your life. Not only your forgiveness, but I receive your life that can never be taken away. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might know life now and life forever and the power of eternal life unleashed within me and through me for my good and your glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and King. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. If this is the first time that you've prayed a prayer like that, um, talk to our prayer team about that. We'd love to know those things. Maybe talk with somebody that you came with and say, this is something new for me. You have new life in Christ today. And we want to walk together as church family, right? Those on the outside become family. This is what God does. And this is the family that he is shaping here that we might together learn to walk with him as gospel people. If there's any other way we can pray for you, our prayer team would love to be able to pray for you before you head out for the day today too. And as you leave, may you know his grace. May you know his abundant love and the power of life alive in you that can never be stolen. Walk with him as you go. Take care, everybody. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.